Hi, this is Lisa Davis, and welcome to another episode of Talk Healthy Today. This show is brought to you by the folks at Better Nutrition, Amazing Wellness, Clean Eating, Vegetarian Times, The Yoga Journal, and more. The show provides you with the latest research tools and common sense tips you need to get and stay healthy starting today. People tell me listening to the show is like overhearing two friends talking about really incredible health topics that you want to know about. I like to really get to know my guests and I'd like you to get to know them as well. So we delve really deeply into topics and I like to share some personal anecdotes as well. To make sure you never miss an episode of Talk Healthy Today, be sure to subscribe, also rate and review. So thank you again for listening to Talk Healthy Today, and here's a word from our sponsors. Wouldn't it be great if there was one health book out there that actually addressed your whole body, mind, spirit. Well, let me tell you, there is. It is called Clean Eating Dirty Sex. It is not about dirty sex. It is a play off the word clean, sensual superfoods and aphrodisiac practices for ultimate sexual health and connection. This book is a healthy lifestyle guide. There are over 40 top experts from functional medicine physicians to registered dietitians to exercise physiologists to psychologists, sexologists, all engaged to help you live your happiest, healthiest life. There are over 50 fantastic, healthy, and delicious recipes. It is also a memoir where I, because I am the author of this book, Lisa Davis, share some very personal stories. Some are heartbreaking, some are funny, to help you get to where you need to be, to understand that it does take time to change, but that I am here along with all the other health experts in the book to help you. Don't let the title fool you. This book will help your communication, your intimacy, how you relate to your partner, how you relate to yourself. But if you do what the book says, it will also help you in every aspect of your health. So please go now. You can get it on Amazon, Barnes and Nobles. It's sold in local bookstores across the country. Check it out. Clean eating, dirty sex. Hi, I'm Lisa Davis. So glad you're listening to Talk Healthy Today. I've been in this field a long time, and I get about four to six books a week over the past 12 years or so. I've gotten a lot of cookbooks. I have to say, the one that I just read is so incredible. It has so much good advice. It's well-written, and it's got amazing recipes. And joining us now to talk about her latest book is the wonderful Laura Lee, Simply Laura Lee, Balanced Recipes for Everyday Living. Hello, Laura. Welcome to the show. Hey, Lisa. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, it's so great to have you on the show. I love a book where you give all these great things. Like you have this chart about, you know, how long food can freeze. And then you have things like your favorite things in your pantry. And and by the way, my daughter went to this camp last summer and apparently she fell in love with Frank's hot sauce. So I cracked up when I saw it in your book because she puts it on everything. So... That's awesome. It's so funny. It's not something you would think of as like a necessarily a healthy food, but it's actually a very sort of lack of a better word, clean ingredient list. It adds so much flavor. Yeah, it really does. So I want to talk about the LL balanced approach. Uh, I'm not going to share them all because people need to get the book, but I love this. So the first thing you say is focus on whole fresh foods that make you feel great. Uh, ditch any preconceived idea of what you should eat and listen to your body. It's your best wellness guru. That is so 
True. Now, for people who listen to the show, Laura, they know that I am, unfortunately, I'm going to say plagued because I have a lot of food sensitivities. It's not just like, okay, mm-hmm. corn. It's like corn, wheat, dairy, soy, nuts, mm-hmm. paprika, kale, spinach, like all kinds of stuff. So I'm very limited. And for me, I know right away if I eat something and I feel good, I go with it. And I know when I don't. And for a lot of people, it's not that obvious, but I definitely say to people, and I'm wondering how you feel, if you do feel like a general malaise, it is a good idea to really look at what you're eating, right? Absolutely. I know it's so interesting. Um, I definitely recommend that people work with some kind of a functional MD if they feel like they're struggling because you're just gonna get a whole host of testing Um, with things that maybe sensitivities where you don't even feel bad necessarily, but it is causing some kind of chronic low-grade inflammation. Um, But but overarchingly, you're right. I mean, bioindividuality means that what works for one person may not work for another. So it's really important to remember that it's not always like, it's not always that more is necessarily better. And especially with vegetables, I think we can even overdo it sometimes. Too much fiber can be hard to digest. Uh, we sometimes we're just loading up our system with a lot of work. Yes. I also love that you talk about the bioindividuality, bioindividuality in the book. Expand on that a little bit more for people who are, oh, I haven't heard that before. Sure. So bioindividuality is this concept that we all have countless factors that go into our genetic makeup. And in addition to that, our actual physical atmosphere and environment, the stresses in our life, our physical activity, whether we're you know a parent or not, there's so many different factors that go into each person's life to then sort of manifest what, what's best for them in terms of their health, their what they should be taking into their bodies, their lifestyle, all sorts of things. So what you may need in a certain period of your life, and that can change from hour to hour and day to day, is probably going to be quite different from someone else who has completely different genetic makeup and a completely different microbiome and immune system and lives in a different climate and all of these things. Yeah, my husband uh, can eat grains, any kind of grains, although he mostly eats whole grains till the cows come home. And I have a bowl of brown rice and I get a headache. I'm like, this is so unfair, you know, and Mm -hmm. we really are so individual. In the beginning of the book, you talk about how you almost put the kibosh on this book and Mm -hmm. that you were glad you didn't because you write, I love this, creating this book healed me. Can you expand on that for us? You don't have to get into the personal details of what was going on, but just I love that idea of this book healing you. Sure. Well, thank you again for the kind words about my book. Truly, it means the world to me. And putting this book out in a global pandemic was an interesting experience, to say the least. Overarchingly, I'm really grateful to have a, you know, an online business, but it's it's definitely been a little anticlimactic. So the book itself, I almost didn't write because I'm happy to talk about it. I was going through a divorce at the time. And I just didn't feel like I had the mental and emotional bandwidth to take on such a monumental task. And it really is. But I thought, you know, I think that diving into something that I can, that can be my baby and where I can really share the information I've learned could be really helpful. And in addition to that, the whole experience really in some ways, almost made food secondary to the other things in my life, my relationships, my mental health. 
And I think it helped me actually have an even more balanced relationship with food. And I, I feel like with every passing year, I'm a little bit more relaxed about what I consider to be healthy. So it's amazing. I mean, uh, yeah, uh, same thing with my first book, a book process, it will just, it will school you. Um, you know, it's really the boss and you sort of have to let it take control to some extent. But definitely the book, looking back on it, is such a reflection of the growth in my life. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, I had a book come out in 2019 uh, with Sky Horse Publishing. I'll have to send you one. I think you'll like it. It's got some great recipes in it as well. So you write in the book that you've allowed yourself more indulgences over the past year and a half than you did in the previous six and that you feel more vibrant. So I like to hear that. Uh, so talk to us about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. I know. Isn't that funny? I, you know, when I first got into this healthy food world, I wanted every single meal and snack to be super nutrient dense and all whole foods and all this. And I think just the focus on that, the stress that went into trying to get it right was ultimately not great for me. And uh, sort of, as I said earlier, I found that as time goes on, I just become a little bit more flexible with the things I incorporate into my life, not constantly uh, working so hard to make sure that everything has, you know, some kind of a green vegetable and worrying too much about when I do want to have an indulgence. Now, I will say with, a, with that, with a caveat, I, I don't have any food sensitivities or allergies. And so, you know, I, I'm, I'm grateful for that in a lot of ways. Um, it allows me to eat more some sort of like standard American treats every now and again. But I will also say you do want to be careful about that. And sometimes I don't, I don't wish food sensitivities on anyone, but they can be a great barometer for what's going on with you. And so I have to just make sure that I enjoy myself. Um, but I also am continuing to most of the time eat well. So I just, I think I've gotten more flexible. I think I've become a more intuitive eater and I've definitely had I mean, my sleep and my digestion are two things that I've struggled with in the past. And truly, I've eaten probably less produce in the last <laughs> two years than I did in probably the five or six years prior. And, um, you know, it's it's been okay. Well, you know, it's funny because during this, you know, pandemic, you know, we're in the house all the time and I still have to eat super careful. I wish I didn't have as many restrictions. I wouldn't mind just a few, but sometimes I'm like, okay, if I didn't have these, I would literally eat 30 peanut butter sandwiches a day. And maybe I wouldn't, maybe at first I would have suddenly like my health issues cleared up and I can eat whatever I want, but I can see how being home all the time, and you're, if you're overwhelmed, you're anxious, you're scared, you, you're losing loved ones, you're, you're not able to work, whatever's going on, I, turning to food, I'm always like, well, that's out for me. What am I going to do? Eat five pounds of grass-fed steak? I mean, <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Pretty hard to overdo it on a sort of traditional paleo diet. Yes. Um, yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. I think most people probably who have had some kinds of restrictions left to their own devices might, might overdo it a little bit initially, but I do think our bodies are really smart. And if we trust them to, if we trust them, they will usually tell us when, you know, when they're ready for something else. Now you had mentioned a moment ago, intuitive eating. What does that mean to you? So intuitive eating, in my opinion, is constantly checking in with your body and 
and whether it's writing it down or sort of just keeping a vague mental list of the kinds of things that you take in when, how it makes you feel. And, and in addition to that, having a basic idea of hunger scale and, and hunger cues, because I think when we are, when we're paying attention to our body, which is the first part, and we actually start to see patterns, um, I think we'll learn a lot about what's right for us and what's not. And then I also think in terms of, you know, hunger, I think most of us, it's been a long time since we were really, truly hungry. Uh, and, and this is not, I'm not suggesting that you get really hungry. I don't, I don't want to, con- you know, confuse this with any language of restriction at all. I just, I think culturally the food is so abundant that often we don't really know when we truly need a meal versus we're bored or we're just a little hungry or we're emotionally hungry. So there's a lot of different ways to come at it. Um, but really it's just, it kind of comes back to individuality. It's really having a sense of what works for you when it comes to what you eat and how much and when. You know, I'm jumping back to some of the things that you mentioned that you love. We mentioned the Frank's Red Hot. You've got coffee, chives, avocado oil. Now, avocado oil, I'm such a fan. And it's in, I think, most of the recipes in, in my book that calls, calls for oil. It's such a great oil. And I love that you wrote in this book that in your original book, you weren't turned on to it yet. And now that you are, you're like, wow. So how did you discover avocado oil and all of the benefits? Honestly, you know, I don't remember the first time. I really don't remember the first time I heard about it. My guess is it was probably on Thrive Market, which is where I get a lot of my sort of specialty health food items because they have great discounts. And I probably saw it there and then maybe slowly started seeing it on blogs or something. But it was such a great answer to a question I used to get all the time, which is, what do I substitute for my traditional vegetable oils that are just lying in the pantry? And avocado oil is perfect because it has a pretty neutral flavor and it's a really high smoke point. So you can use it for searing and just high heat cooking in general. And you don't have to worry about it oxidizing really easily like an olive oil might. Yeah, it's really important stuff. Uh, I also like that you talk about how to use stevia and monk fruit. And uh, if I remember correctly, was it stevia cold and monk fruit hot? So like if you're baking or, or did I get that backwards? No, you got it right. You nailed it. Those are, um, those are generalizations kind of overall, but I would say big picture typically with stevia, it dissolves really easily. So you can use it in, you can really use it in a hot or, or cold food because it's going to d- dissolve really quickly. Um, it's not a great fit for baking simply because it's so incredibly strong. And in baking, we do need about anywhere from, let's say, a quarter cup of sweetener to maybe a cup of sweetener. It, it actually does play a role in the baking process. And with stevia, you need so little that you really, it can kind of mess up the baking ratios. And then monk fruit is fabulous. I I don't remember when I discovered it either, but it is the best one-to-one substitute for traditional, you know, refined white sugar that I found. And I absolutely love it. They're both naturally derived. I did a lot of scientific research on them to make sure that, you know, they seem healthy and everything I see points to their being, you know, completely harmless. Um, and you could even, you know, that you could even argue they have some health benefits 
as well. So yeah, those have been great, but you know, I'm not a, I'm not a purist and I'm certainly not, and I'm not a stickler about sweeteners. And I, if, if what you have lying around is something that's a little bit more affordable or it's a, a better fit for you, that's fine. But they're just great to know about. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, you're my hero because you put some information in your book about the Instant Pot, some really great information. So I bought an Instant Pot, I think a year and a half ago. I li- It literally sat for like six months in the living room. My husband's like, what is this box, honey? Can I bring it to the basement? No, I'm going to open it. I'm going to learn. Finally. <laughs> Finally, my friend Jacqueline, we were talking and she just brought up Instapot. I'm like, I have one. She goes, you do? How is it? I'm like, I don't know. I keep just like forgetting to try it, which is so embarrassing, especially with what I do. So she came over and helped me. I, I always say because I have ADD and, and I'm not just saying that I've been tested. Um, I'm like allergic <laughs> to reading directions. I can't stand uh-huh. like my brain just goes somewhere else. So I said, you read the directions. You help me figure this out and we'll use it. And it's awesome. And it makes perfect eggs, by the way. Um, which I'm also sensitive to, but my husband and daughter <laughs> make hard boiled oh, eggs man. in it. Oh my gosh. Yeah, it's um, a lot of stuff. <laughs> can you have duck eggs or anything like that? Um, what kind? Duck. I've never tried that. Oh, wow. Mm. Thank you. I appreciate yeah, that. Yeah, sometimes people who have a sensitivity to chicken eggs can can do them. So I think Whole Foods is, may now be offering them. They had them at, at ours for a little while. Really? Um, oh, thank you. That's interesting. So it's funny. That's exactly why I put instant pot recipes in the book because so many people said the same thing. They had they've had it for two years in a box, and and honestly, I don't think it's a particularly user friendly piece of equipment. I I don't think it makes intuitive sense once you once you have a recipe to follow and you know what bu- buttons to press, which is my job to give you that formula, then it's pretty easy. But I don't think it's necessarily the most intuitive, which is one of the reasons I wanted to put put it in the book as well. So if you don't have an instant pot, I have a crock pot version for everything, but I did want to share that because I know a lot of people have them, whether they use them or not, you know? Yeah. I made some great beef stew and my husband, like the eggs are perfect. And it's funny because you think how hard is it to just boil it on the stove, right? And it's not even that much of a time saver, but he said they just come out perfect every mm-hmm. time. Have you made eggs in them, hard boiled eggs? I have. And I, and I think there's just something about, it is very formulaic. So it's sort of like when you know what to do, it's, um, it's pretty much going to turn out the same most of the time. Whereas I think with boiling, it's just really easy to let your mind wander. And next thing you know, you've, you know, boiled them a few minutes too long or whatever. Right. You know, now that we're home and I really encourage people, please stay in. It is so important. Obviously you need to get your groceries. You need to get anything at the, you know, medications or whatever supplements that you need, but overall, as much as you can, unless you're an essential worker, please do stay home. So we're home. Mm -hmm. We have more time to cook, hopefully, uh, in between homeschooling, whole nother topic. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And do you have some great information on breaking down cooking mindset myths? So Mm -hmm. share some of these with us, Laura. Yeah. So I I think when people think of healthy eating and cooking at home, there are things that come to mind, like it's expensive or um, it's not going to taste as good as my my favorite takeout or it's not sustainable, you know, I don't have what I need. And the reality is those are just perspectives. They're not actually true. I think they're myths, they're stories that we tell ourselves to justify whatever it is that we're already doing. And this can apply to any part of our life. So the truth is, if you if you kind of reconfigure that, um, you can work backwards and, and realize that, in fact, you know, cooking at home 
is way less expensive and it's way more accessible and it can be even more delicious and, you know, make your life so much easier and become sustainable for a lot of different reasons. So I just, I, I challenge people. Now, I don't think every single person has to cook. I, I really don't. I'm not going to say that everyone needs to be a home cook, but for those of you who, who want to or need to, um, I think kind of working backwards and shifting the lens through which you see cooking can be really powerful. Yeah, I agree. I have to mention everything we just talked about is just in chapter one in the introduction. And there's stuff I didn't even mention because I don't want to give it. I don't hear me like, you're giving me my whole book away. It's like when I interview someone who, who's written a memoir, I'm always like, I don't want, you know, how much do you say? How much do you not say? There's just so much great information. So chapter two is cooking tips for recipe success. Because again, you can make something, you're like, I don't know why that didn't turn out right. So to have this extra information is so great. I love that you have tips for prepping, mm-hmm. cooking, and freezing. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, how long can you freeze food? You have cooked food, raw food, you have things that you don't freeze. Uh, you have things about, I like this, use binder clips for parchment. See, I never thought of that. I'm like, why is my parchment kind of like, you know, rolling in on itself? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. No. And I, Yeah. And I, all of that information, I know it's a lot, but I do, you know, it's there for a reason. It's to make your life easier. So I, I, you know, I love when people go through it uh, like you have, because once you know those things then you'll find that your cooking process is so much more streamlined and you'll start to really kind of metabolize them and know them the way that I do. And so I love to just keep all that information in there. And with each cookbook, I'm probably going to repeat some of that information as well. Some of the things I think are the most vital and then add in some new information, but all of it is, I think is worth, worth a glance because it really can just um, improve your experience. Oh, definitely. And then you've got pans, equipments, and supplies stock up, stock up on these basics, uh, tips for specific ingredients. I mean, there's so much great stuff in here. I mean, you even have garlic mince versus finely minced. I'm like a garlic fanatic and I just <laughs> chop it up. I never really thought about it. So I thought, oh, that's so interesting. I didn't realize that the minced garlic is a little different than if it's, you can make it more like a paste and how that changes things, whether you use a garlic press or a food processor. I mean, it's very, I I find it all fascinating. No, thank you. And it's funny. I just, you know, in some ways with cooking, you can, if you are a natural kind of intuitive cook, you can do a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and you might have sense of what works, but a lot of people aren't. And so I found that some of those details can make a world, can make a world of difference. Um, So I just, you know, the way I write my recipes, the way I write these chapters of the books, anything that I think might be interesting or important, I just include it. And I'm really grateful that my publisher gives me the space to do that, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's super in-depth. We're going to now jump into the recipes. So let's start with beverages and smoothies. I just want to go through some of these. Uh, I love this LL's Daily Morning Elixir. We've got lime or lemon. It's got raw apple cider vinegar, ginger water, stevia, sea salt optional, and one scoop collagen peptides. There's a million reasons to drink this. Why don't you give us a few of why this is so important? Well, so this this sort of daily, daily elixir, I do put it together every night and have it the next day. And part of it, the main part of it is for hydration and it tastes really good, but it's a great way to just start your body hydrated. I know so many people who just start with coffee and you're kind of making up for it the rest of the day. 
Um, and then there's all sorts of things. I mean, the lemon juice has, uh, you know, has, has definitely become a little bit of a cliche in the health food world. But even if you're not talking about any sort of like the, I don't know, fancy reasons to have lemon, it's just a great source of flavor and vitamin C. Um, and, you know, it's just a really, it's a really nutrient dense thing. So I, it's not necessarily going to, you know, change your metabolism or change your life, but I do think it, it adds a quite a bit of nutrition and then apple cider vinegar, um, you know, it depends on the type that you're using, but the type I use does have some nice, um, bacteria in it, some healthy gut bacteria and depending on a lot of different factors, it can be helpful for, for things like, uh, your digestion overall. And that's what I've used it for is for digestion. So, um, and then the collagen, I mean, you know, collagen, you don't have to use it. You don't have to use any sort of specialty items. And I don't talk about very many of them, but collagen is something that I have truly seen a difference when I consume it in, when I consume a high quality brand and I consume it consistently and I consume it over a period of time, like at least four to six months. I, you know, I, do, I, I, did, I did notice a difference. And so wow. if you want to include that, I think it's great. Well, you're stunning. I mean, like, thank you. Just absolutely stunning. Uh, so, what kind of uh, apple cider vinegar do you use? Because I got me curious. So, I'd like to try that kind. Yeah. Well, so Bragg's um, is a great. That's what brand. I use. Good. Yeah. And it has, you just want to look for one that says with the mother. Um, and that'll have that nice little probiotic mushroom in, in the bottom, little funky thing. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, the other thing I was looking at, and this looks so good for my daughter, is a low sugar PB&J smoothie bowl. And that's mm -hmm. got coconut milk, one cup frozen cauliflower rice. I love cauliflower rice because then I could, you know, saute up some chicken sausage and, and grass fed meats and other things. And it's just delicious. Mm -hmm. uh, this also has berries, uh, peanut butter. It, it just sounds really good. Also the liquid stevia. Is there a certain brand of that that you like? No, I do think stevia is something where um, you do want to buy it organic just because it tends to, I think companies will dilute it if it's like a poor quality. Um, you want to look for something that's in ideally in a little glass bottle that's dark and, um, and that's organic, but I don't, I don't worry too much about it. I think that's a, that's a small rock. How did you come up with these recipes by the way? And this, I mean, this must be a lot of work for the most part, honestly, the recipes t typically <laughs> sound sort of crazy, but they do <laughs> come to me. Um, truthfully, uh, no, not you at don't all. really have to work that hard. Um, to, for that part, I have to work really hard for a book, but the the recipes just sort of come to me. Sometimes it's a suggestion from someone or a childhood favorite, but honestly, I don't really know. Both outlines for both my cookbooks I wrote on flights to LA about four and a half hours, and they just kind of came out, <laughs> and then they pretty much stayed that way for the entire for the entire process. So. Wow, that's incredible. Well, let's jump into breakfast. You've got savory breakfasts and sweet breakfasts. And you've got, I'll just name some of the recipes, apple sausage breakfast bake. Uh, now, this sounds interesting. BEC Freezeritos. Okay, you need to tell us about that. Yeah, so it's just bacon, egg, and cheese. Um, and deviation. But this is where the quality of the food really, really matters. Because if we're going to be using things like bacon and and eggs and cheese, dairy, um, you know, you can make that into something that is, you know, pretty nutrient dense and doesn't have 
damaging properties. And, um, you know, but if you're going to go for, um, you know, a cheese from fa- that's factory farmed and you're going to go for factory farmed meat, then you're going to have something that is not, you, d- you don't want to be eating that on a regular basis. Um, but you can do it in a way where it's pretty, it's still pretty inexpensive, makes everybody happy and you get some nutrients in it. Oh my God. The photos in here are fabulous. Oh my God. These apple bars. And you've got the sliced apples on top and they look kind of caramelized ish. You've got a chewy peanut butter latte oats, uh, chocolate chip cookie dough pancakes. Okay. Seriously. I'm these pictures. Now, did you do the photos as well? Or I'm assuming you had a professional food photographer because they're just amazing. Thank you. Um, I actually do all my photography. You do all your photography. Holy (laughs) cow. Okay. You're gorgeous. You're smart. You're talented. Okay. That's just, all right. So I'm, I'm drooling right now at the may at the pecan cinnamon rolls, um, gooey, excuse me, pecan cinnamon rolls. Those look amazing. Thank you. Yeah. That was just a fun way to do a quicker cinnamon roll. Now that does use a store-bought dough that is going to have traditionally is going to have wheat. And that's just, you know, that's just a better alternative, just like I have a recipe for pigs in a blanket. Um, Because with that, you can control the kind of oil you're using, you can control the quality of the rest of the ingredients. So it's definitely a treat, but um, it's a great option. And actually, I've had some people make the the recipes that call for a pizza dough. I've had people use the Simple Mills bread mix and make them and with with great success and that's completely grain free so there's uh, different ways to play with it oh nice all right let's get into snacks and i love this snack appetizers uh you got sticky cajun spiced chicken wings hot honey cheddar stuffed sweet potato skins tahini brussels sprouts with pistachios and dates cashew kimchi lettuce cups uh, i think if i remember correctly kimchi was one of the things on your list there was chives coffee kimchi avocado oil and some others mm-hmm. that were on that list of things that you really like. So let's talk about that one, the uh, cashew kimchi lettuce cups. Yeah. So that recipe was inspired by one of my favorite dishes in Nashville. Uh, there's a place called Avo that's completely plant-based, mostly vegan, a little bit maybe vegetarian. And they have these cashew kimchi, I don't remember exactly what they call them, but spring rolls. And so I, lo- I loved them so much. And um, I actually developed the recipe just based off of my experience with them. And then the girl who initially developed that recipe, her name's Jess, she uh, shared the recipe and I kind of compared and they were pretty similar. And I, I said, do you mind if I use my version of it in this book? And it's great. I mean, it's, you know, a no bake recipe, um, really light, tons of flavor and um, it's just a great alternative if you want to serve something, you know, plant-based um, or you don't want to turn on the oven in the middle of the summer. Right. Oh, my gosh. Exactly. Let's jump into your sides. Again, I'm just going to read some buttery lemon pepper leeks, vegan tomato-y collard greens, Italian green bean and toasted quinoa salad. Oh, that looks good. I can't have quinoa, so that looks delicious. Um, <laughs> bourbon, bus, bur, bur, I can't even say bourbon, bourbon, balsamic skillet mushrooms, Mediterranean spaghetti squash bake. I could have that. Okay. I love spaghetti squash. Oh my gosh. So good. Tell us about that recipe. So I don't remember. I honestly don't remember the inspiration for that recipe off the top of my head, but um, yes, yeah, spaghetti squash is amazing. It's, you know, beautiful in terms of its nutrient density. It's really versatile. It has a mild, slightly sweet flavor, and it's a great substitute for kind of a noodle consistency. So getting the the technique for baking that 
correct was took a couple tries, but I really enjoy it. And then you just kind of pump it full of these great Mediterranean flavors and you could do a cheese on top, but you could totally leave it off as well. You could add some um, ground meat to it to make it a little bit more hearty. I know a few people have made it and add chicken. Added chicken before. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of a, a great way to get a ton of veggies. It feels very satisfying. It really is. I love to make a super garlicky meat-based tomato sauce mm. with that like spaghetti sauce. And then I'll just put it on the spaghetti squash. And I'll have a choice like for my daughter. Do you want pasta or spaghetti squash? She'll take the spaghetti squash, which I'm like, yeah. yes, it's really good. You've also got red meat entrees, seafood entrees, poultry entrees, and veggie entrees. You've got lunch and dinner entrees. I can't get over how many recipes are in this book. And they all look absolutely incredible. French dip calzone with sun-dried tomato marinara. A Big Mac Mitza with special sauce. Tell us about that. <laughs> so if people have been making that a lot. I, I thought people, I, I worried people were going to get maybe kind of weirded out by it, but it's actually been one of the more popular recipes. So I was a Big Mac queen when I was in college. That was my number one favorite, you know, food basically. And my steady food in the middle of the night. So I love the flavor combination and I thought it'd be fun to do the, um, the book has a handful of kind of keto-friendly recipes, and I think that would be a fun way to have um, all of the flavors of a Big Mac and have it in just kind of like a low-carb form. So you really sort of bake it and can slice it up like a pizza. Now, if you wanted to, you could put it, if you're not worried about carbs, you could put it over a crust. Um, but a couple of but people have made it said that, you know, it really does, it does taste like a Big Mac. So that can kind of satisfy that craving and definitely quite a bit healthier. So again, that's something where it's really important to make sure you're, you're getting your pasture raised beef because that's the primary uh, ingredient in your meal. Now I'm jumping to the seafood entrees because I love a good uh, Thai flavor coconut milk. You have a Thai coconut poached cod. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Yeah, you'll have to let me know what you think. Poaching is such an underrated way to cook chicken or or seafood. Um, it's just really it's it makes for a really tender protein. And you know, it's it takes a little bit of patience and a little bit of practice, but you know, you get some really flaky fish. And I it's it's not super authentic, but um I try to use the same pantry staples over and over again. So you do get kind of that Thai flavor with some things that you probably already have lying around and then you can really customize the veggies that you that go in it and you can customize what you put it on top of you could do noodles you could do cauliflower rice you could do it almost like a soup so um, it's just really versatile jumping into chicken this looks really good one pot creamy cajun chicken pasta yeah so um that that dish is 